Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. Our Tuesday night show recorded on a Monday night, Carolina, of course, at Clemson on Tuesday night, that Greg Barnes will be in attendance. Ross, I'm going to start with you first, because we were talking off the air before we started this, and... You try to find something out of that NC State game that North Carolina fans could look to and see as a positive. And I think the play of Theo Pinson certainly was a positive. He was as aggressive, as active, and as looking to score as he's been in his career at Carolina that I can recall. Your thoughts on his play and and also to the question of where's that been thus far this season? Yeah, I'll be at Clemson uh, as well, Tommy. Not Greg's picking me off, picking me up on the uh, on the side of the highway tomorrow uh, <laughs> tomorrow afternoon on the way to Clemson. Um, yeah, and I watched uh, you know I watched the state game at a mountain house in Dobbs, North Carolina. I was not at the, at the game, and then I rewatched it on Monday afternoon, and um, it was unreal how kind of offensively dominant Pinson was, and just how he had his way and kind of just kind of picked his points and. Is just it's kind of it was a breath of fresh air to see what he could do when everything clicks and he kind of knows that he is. He, I mean, he was the best player on the floor by far. I think maybe outside of um, the the Freeman kid for NC State, but you know the way Pinson attacked, the way he you know flew through there and slammed him dunks and dominated on the boards and just kind of maneuvered his way inside the paint. It was unreal seeing his athleticism in full play with his size and his strength. And it's, it's kind of like, like we said off the air, like where has this been for the last three years? Cause it, it, you kind of saw his, it kind of, you saw his pure ability and what he could have been doing for so long. And it finally felt like it just all clicked together. And I know UNC lost. I know it was a heartbreaking overtime loss, but I don't think UNC played that bad. And I don't think, um, I think NC State just shot the lights out and, and UNC obviously made some mistakes, turned the ball over late, um, I think Cameron Johnson had some shots that you would think that an experienced player like him should knock down and, uh, and, and some mistakes, obviously, in the regulation and over time. But I think offensively, there was a lot of things to take away from that game. They're very positive. And that starts with uh, how Pinson performed. And it's weird, you know, one assist on the game, one miss three, one assist, but 22 points and 16 rebounds or uh, 22 points and 15 rebounds. So. That's where I'll start there with how Pinson played. Yeah, and Greg, to that point, I mean, Luke May also had a great game uh, for the most part, stats-wise. There was a couple of of those plays late, but Carolina sort of had had learned how to win this this type ball game over the last couple years and even early this season. But now it looks like they're struggling with getting there. You know, grinding out that win at the end. They've had so many close games. And now after Virginia Tech, 
a week ago and then NC State over the weekend. They head to Clemson tomorrow night. A team sort of, from what I saw against NC State and Virginia Tech, sort of unsure about how to close out a game or how to make a big play uh, to you know take over a game. You kept waiting against NC State. Maybe they would make a play. Maybe they'd make a run, and it just never really happened. Yeah, I, I was really surprised how the end of the game against State kind of played out. Um, you know, Cam Johnson made that winning play there at the end of regulation, made his two free throws, and I thought at that point, okay, they got it to overtime. You know, they're experienced. They can kind of do what they've done all season long and, and wrap this thing up. Score on the first possession. You know, Theo makes a good play off the uh, jump ball. But then really from there, uh, they look like a high school team. Had five turnovers in their last nine possessions. Uh, one of those other possessions, they had a one-in-one uh, -one opportunity, missed the front end of that. So really six completely wasted possessions out of nine to close the game. Uh, and yet they were still there at the end. So they played better defense uh, in overtime. But you can, you can look at it a lot of different ways. I mean, State has been playing better. Uh, North Carolina shot 53% for the game. Theo and Luke really can't play any better. Uh, but yet you, you still lose to State. And yeah, you know, Theo did a good job getting into the lane and all those kinds of things. We need to be careful in, in saying that you know it was uh, a credible performance against like a really good defensive team. State is 200, let's see here, they are 247th nationally in two-point field goal percentage defense. They're dead last in the ACC and ACC play. Um, they've just done a you know kind of a piss poor job all season long in the paint, you know, protecting the rim, and that's how a lot of teams have, have had a lot of success against them. And so it made sense, you know, if you watch the beginning of that game, whereas maybe at Virginia Tech and some other games, UNC it was trigger happy from outside. That wasn't the case early against State. I mean, they they really attacked the rim and had success early. Uh, and then when they finally decided to start shooting some threes, nothing went down. And so I, I'm kind of the mindset that you can kind of go either way with this one. And I understand kind of both sides. But I kind of come back to if you're going to go with that small lineup, they have got to give you uh, some, some perimeter shooting to offset some of the rebounding concerns. And I, we haven't seen enough of that consistently. Yeah, they did okay, and I know they out-rebounded State, but uh, you know, State had more second-chance points than UNC did. You know, State had more points off turnovers than UNC did. I think seven out of UNC's nine ACC games, the opponent has scored more points off turnovers, which is kind of a crazy stat because UNC has really used this defense to, to create offense in recent years, and that really has not been the case this year, which leads to some of these issues. So. Um, a lot of good, a lot of bad in this game. And I think it kind of gives you an idea of you know, where UNC has some strengths, where we know their weaknesses are, and you know, where they have to get better over the second half of the ACC season if they want to make any kind of you know, legitimate run in the postseason. Real quick, you think you make a good point, and then, and then Greg just drops like these stats on you that just demolishes your points. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll see. I've. I've been doing this for so many years. I just kind of like yeah. my my eyes glaze over and say, "Yeah, I'm a I'm a dummy." Um, Greg, and then right. I, I think to add, to add to that point, I think Greg kind of said that at the end, like we kind of know what 
this team is now. I think I think we're we're that far in the season where we've kind of figured out the strengths that can be that can be very high highs, and then we we know there's going to be some mistakes and some lower lows with this team. So I think we kind of had a have a grasp of a very weird and strange team. I think this far into the season, we've kind of we've gotten a lot closer to figuring out what the deal is. So let's pontificate about it a little bit. It, me watching the last couple games, I've thought maybe the small ball lineup is time to stop the experiment. And to Greg's what Greg was talking about there, if they're not going to shoot it well enough um, from three, it doesn't really serve a purpose. And Brooks, I thought, looked good. At times, Manley's looked good. But Ross, so do you think it's maybe time for Roy Williams to switch back and go traditional, <laughs> if for lack of a better term? Because look, let's be honest. And I said this while watching the replay of the state game. If he's going to start a small lineup, that leaves virtually no scoring coming off the bench. So if your starters are struggling, and West Carolina had a, a couple games in a row now where a couple starters do nothing offensively. But if you do that, then you have nothing off the bench. At least if you go back traditional start, Brooks then maybe you have Cam Johnson or Kenny Williams coming off the bench, maybe relieve some stress or some pressure or whatever's going on with those guys. Your thoughts on that that possible option? Yeah. Not, something's got to change. Maybe that kickstarts some sort of change. Yeah, I, I find it hard to, to say that Roy is going to make a change now. I think he's kind of found this lineup and he's going to kind of run with it. Um, but I do think that Brooks has earned a lot, a lot of minutes based on what he did. And I think against teams like Duke that are that have bigger, bigger bigs and athletic guys, it might make sense to uh, to go with Brooks a little more, who's who's a, kind of a mobile big, uh, and maybe Manley who can pose some length issues for some of Duke's guys. But I think we've kind of said all along that the the five starters now are the five best players and. And Cam's done some good things. Uh, I think defensively, he leaves a little bit to be desired. He's not as strong. That's definitely an area he's need to improve on um, in terms of just defense and, and being an impact rebounder. But he had some flashes against State where he, you saw what he could do offensively, not just as a three-point shooter, but as a kind of a slasher as well. I, I find it hard to, to think that Roy will make a change now, even though it, it might make sense. But um, – I think moving into a lineup with Manley and Brooks more would be beneficial, kind of seeing what they did against State. But, I mean, it's like it's every game. Every game it changes. You, you see something you like, you talk about it, and it makes sense in your mind, and then the next game it changes because Pinson and Cam have good games or, or Brooks has a good game or, or Manley shows flashes. So I think you got to roll with what you have now and, and kind of invest in that lineup because that's the, that's the lineup you're going to ride into March. Yeah, and I think Ross is correct. I agree with him that you kind of have to stick with this lineup because these are your five best. But your your point is valid, Tom. If you look at the, the numbers against State, and I know it went to overtime, so we got some more time in play. But the starters played 33 minutes or more each. Barry played 41 minutes. May played 37, Penson 36. If you look at what has happened, in ACC play, in nine games, May's averaging 33.5, Barry's averaging over 34, Williams, Kenny's averaging over 31, you know, Cam Johnson is averaging the least amount of minutes of the starters, and he's at 28. 
The only sub averaging more than 10 minutes a game is Garrison Brooks. And I think Roy Williams and his staff are really kind of in a catch-22 of, okay, you know, we had the entire non-conference season to give all these younger guys minutes. And we're kind of where we're at in terms of how much the staff actually trusts those guys. But if the guys are coming in off the bench and they're not at least maintaining the quality of play, Roy's not going to play in that long. You can't afford to. Um, and I know they, they had a very good first half. Playtech and, and Garrison played very well in the first half against State, and that was critical. And the more they can do that, the more minutes they will get. Uh, but we haven't seen that in a lot of these games, which goes back to the initial comments you made, Tommy, about uh, you know, kind of what happened with North Carolina at the end of the game against State. And I think it's too early to, to panic, uh, but I find it very interesting that I asked Joel Berry a week or so ago about his increased minutes. And he point blank kind of called out Jalik Felton and saying, we need him to, to kind of come around and, and to play better because he acknowledged that late in games, he's been getting a little bit tired. Part of it's because he's having to play so hard defensively. And then last week on Roy Williams radio show, Brad Frederick was the guest and he was asked about Kenny Williams shooting slump. And he made the comment that, Hey, you know, there's a little bit of maybe fatigue involved because he's having to do mo- so much defensively for the team. Uh, but you know, he, he said he thought it was more confidence than anything, but you know, fatigue was a, a possibility. So you know, we've, we've got people who should know saying that fatigue is potentially an issue for two starters. Um, I asked Luke about it and Luke downplayed it, which is you know, what you'd expect most guys to, but he's getting you know, almost as many minutes as, as Joel is. So does that factor into how these guys are playing you know, down the stretch of some of these games now? Uh, I, I don't know, um, but the fact that the minutes have increased, uh, there's not a lot of sign of that changing. That's just one of those things that the coaching staff has to maneuver because, look, we're nine games out from the postseason now. You can't all of a sudden just start throwing a bunch of bench guys in hoping that it sticks because if you do that and they don't play well and the other team goes on the 7-0 run, well, that could be the difference in a win and a loss. And right now, wins and losses matter because you have a very tough stretch coming up. And if you lose too many of these games, then your postseason uh, life is in jeopardy. So it's just a very difficult spot for, for the coaching staff at this point in time. That's great points there. When we come back from break, I, I want to ask you guys about the fatigue and defense, because I think uh, when you score 91 points against anybody, you should win a ball game. Carolina, of course, gives up 95, I think it was. But let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about that. All right, we're back, and Ross, let me come to you. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Joel Berry's been gassed at the end of games. And But my question is, if if they're getting so gassed because they're playing so many minutes and also playing, um, having to expend so much energy on defense, where's the defense? And, and that's been the thing on Inside Carolina message boards, the, the comments about the defense. Adrian Atkinson's got a – very in-depth technical article on three-point defense or, or perimeter defense. So why are teams able to basically get what they want against North Carolina 
you know, seemingly every game. I think, Greg, you mentioned the points off turnovers, but isn't it also seven of nine ACC opponents have hit 10 or more threes or something like that? Yeah, ACC opponents are averaging, I think, 10.6 made threes per game. Which is, you can't win many ball games like that if you're North Carolina, not this version of North Carolina Ross. So your take on, you know, the overall defensive effort we've seen, especially in the last couple games. Yeah. <laughs> Defense is such a weird thing to talk about and, and write about. I remember before I joined Inside Carolina, I was like, man, Greg is writing about defense again. He always <laughs> writes about defense. He is like the expert on defense. It's just, I mean, it's really like an effort and a want-to thing. It's hard to kind of grasp and get people to talk about because they always go back to just want-to and effort and having to want to do it. And in rewatching the game today, it was just – you know, you knew they were going to bomb some threes. You knew the guys that were going to nail threes, and UNC was just late to closeouts and late to get a hand in the face, and that that's what it came down to. I don't know why that's happening. Um, you know, you're, you, you're not in the huddle and, and figuring out what went wrong, but obviously teams have found a weakness with UNC's defense, and that's with um, three-point shooting, and, uh, and that's kind of the deal, and teams have been kind of bombing it from three, and that's kind of been the issue. Um, other than that, man, I, I don't really know how else to dive into it. Greg might be a, a better, more technical answer to that. State should not come into the Dean Dome and come out with a, with a victory. That's what they did. It's kind of embarrassing to have a guy shoot that well and, and come out with a win in your house. And I think that's what I think a lot of fans and, and people in general are kind of upset about because of, of how well they played offensively in uh, a home court where UNC has been dominant in the last uh, the last couple of years. Well, Greg, when you look at, you know, it's sort of the same thing over and over against North Carolina, and that's what I'm having a hard time understanding is, you know, whether it's the coaching staff not making, making an adjustment, which Warren Williams is going to – his approach has been the same and very successful over many, many years. But Carolina's at a point now where every team does the exact same thing. And if they hit, they all seem to hit more than they should. But if they're hitting 10.6 threes a game, that puts a lot of pressure on Carolina to score. And you see guys across the nation that, that will slack it off on play on defense because they'll light it up on offense. Well, Carolina's having the situation where defense is struggling and the guys look worn out or, or look like the effort's really not there or they're just going through the motions. And then but they're not putting up the points on the other end. It's that that either or chicken or the egg, catch 22, whatever you want to call it, your take on that, uh, I mean, it's got to improve. Like you said, this stretch coming up, starting with Clemson, that may be the easiest game of the of the whole thing there. So what do they do? That's a great question, Tommy. I mean, the NC State game is a perfect example. Carolina shoots 52.8%. State shoots 44.7%. And UNC did have more turnovers at 14 and State's 9, which isn't a big discrepancy. But UNC had more offensive rebounds, so they created a couple extra possessions there. But you're talking about a team that hit 15 three-pointers against UNC hitting four. I mean, that's 11 points. Uh, and that is a big part of the game. Uh, and we've just seen that kind of time and time again. And it, it is such a an interesting dynamic talking about defense. I could explain it to you, and Ross could probably explain it to you too, what Roy Williams wants to do. I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast so many times over the years. He likes man-to-man defense. 
in large part because it helps with rebounding. But essentially, what he likes to be able to do is protect from the inside out. He wants to guard the, the easier shot first. And so when teams penetrate and get into the lane, guys have to come up and help. And guys have talked about that all year long. I actually went back through a number of stories that I've written this year. And dating back to November, Joel Berry's talking about, we've got to get better guarding the ball. We can't just let guys turn the corner and get down the lane. And part of, the, part of why that's been such an emphasis this year is in years past, I mean, especially two years ago, if you've got Bryce Johnson in the paint and somebody turns the corner on you out front, you don't have to help that much because good luck getting a shot up over him. But now you do it this year, and most of the time Luke May's in there. I mean, Luke May is not a, uh, a center. He's not a shot blocker. And so at that point in time, he's got to have help. And so that's, that's kind of the, the crux of the matter. And then when you add in ball screens, you know, Adrian did a really good job with this article kind of breaking down all the different types of ball screens that UNC used. And if you're watching that game Saturday and you saw Omir Yurtseven in the post being fronted by Joel Berry wondering why, it's because they were switching on screens late. Uh, they tried everything. And so you know, fans shouldn't get on the message board and say, ah, well, they don't ever try anything different. They tried a lot of different stuff. Uh, the, it was all within the man concept, but in terms of how they defended the, the ball screen, they threw a lot of different stuff at the Wolfpack, and the Wolfpack handled it well. Those are kind of the key things that Roy keeps harping on and the players keep harping on. And when you add in kind of the, the want to and the desire and the guys that's needing to get it done, that all kind of factors in. One thing that, that Kenny Williams said, and this kind of stuck with me after the game, he said, you know, too many times guys are getting balls out on the perimeter and they're able to step into it and shoot it like they're shooting a warm-up shot. And there is a difference in, in contesting the shot, and there is a difference in running somebody off the three-point line. We have seen that so many times before where a really good defense will not give you an opportunity to get off a good look. And this team has been unable to do that all year long. You know, Roy Williams' teams, they always get better. Uh, that's That's been one thing that uh, has been the case. But it's going to have to be a dramatic shift for this team to get that much better defensively uh, to not be susceptible to some of these you know, hot hot teams from, from long range because it's, it's been something that has occurred time and time again. Real quick, uh, Greg, you've covered UNC for longer than I have. What does a good defensive UNC – Roy Williams coach team look like? Like what do they do in particular that this team is not doing? Well, I think that the team two years ago is kind of a good, uh, kind of a good scenario to, to take because they had Bryce Johnson in the middle who could alter shots. Now they haven't always had a good shot blocker like that, like Bryce was his senior year, but they've had a presence inside. I mean, even last year with, with Meeks and, and Hicks, uh, they were long enough where they could alter shots inside. Uh, but then you also had Marcus Page out front, and, and Page is is you know one of the best guards defensively that that Roy has has coached, and so you know, teams had a hard time getting into the paint and being effective, and so you didn't have to uh, help so much. You didn't have to collapse in. What you would see is guys on the perimeter. Well, yeah, they would come in and help a little bit, but they weren't all the way in the paint like we've seen this year. They were maybe a little bit outside the paint, so if a, a ball kicked outside, 
they could close that gap real quick and get a hand up. Uh, we, we haven't seen that very often this year. And that's why there's been so many times when guys have just been wide open in the corner. Um, and so a lot of this experience, but a lot of it is having somebody in the paint to help defend penetration and is having good guards out front uh, to really limit a team's ability to, to get into the paint. And Roy, Roy will tell you, you know, the, the rules have, have benefited offensive players for so long now. I mean, you can carry the ball. Uh, you Contact's really not permitted. So the defenders have a tougher time out front. But all those things kind of make you say, okay, well, if that's the case, if everything's changing, you, why don't you make changes to your style of play? And, you know, I think Roy's response is, because I know what I want to do, and I've got to coach these guys up better to do what I want them to do. And so I, I think that's that's kind of where we're at with this team, is that they're a little bit limited uh, out front. They're definitely limited in the post. And all those things have kind of added up to a, a perfect storm. Yeah, and to Greg's point there, it, most college teams are going to have a guard that can get in the lane. The difference on your, your teams that are really good defensively is they have that rim protector. I think Vital says that mess all the time, but that's true. Because if you don't have it, like Carolina, I mean, let's be honest, Greg, you, you, we talked about it off air. Your seven could have had 30 at least against North Carolina. Have, probably. Yeah, if State wanted to play that way because Carolina doesn't have anybody, and that's why the development of Sterling Manley is huge, not just you know, for later this year, but for beyond, because I don't think there's a there's not a guy on the roster now other than him, and there's not a guy coming that's going to be that type of defender inside. So anyway, I mean, Carolina's in a in a bad spot, and if teams are going to hit 15 threes, they're probably going to lose no matter who you're playing. So, Ross, I'm going to let you talk everybody off a ledge and tell us why North Carolina fans should look forward to at least the upcoming two-game stretch before <laughs> uh, Duke in a couple weeks. Yeah, and let me dive in real quick to kind of bounce off what you just said. You're seeing the effects of a lesser level of recruiting. And we we talked about that a little bit this year, but it, it's just plain to see that UNC has missed out on a bunch of really athletic, talented guys. You're kind of seeing that lower level of talent uh, this year. You know, in a normal, I hate to say it, because I love Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks, the great guys, but in a normal Roy Williams coach UNC team without NCAA stuff, without whatever one-and-done stuff, they'd have a little higher talent level than those guys. And, you know, and maybe more athletic guards and quicker guys. It's just it's not your Ty Lawson, Wayne Ellington, Tyler Hansborough, John Henson, Tyler Zeller, Harrison Barnes, Kendall Marshall type team. And that's why maybe people are struggling with the fact that they can't defend as well and they can't score as well and everything is not coming as easy. And that's a result of just lower level recruiting over the last three or four years that we saw coming. And that's uh, with that being said, yeah, I mean, the last couple um, next couple games. I think Clemson is a very important game. You know, UNC um, beat the Tigers 87-79 in, uh, in Chapel Hill last time I played a couple weeks ago. Head down to Little John Coliseum. I think that's a, a very important game to bounce back, get back in the win column. And then it's obviously a must-win at Pittsburgh. It's a really sloppy Pittsburgh team that hasn't done anything in ACC. And then it's Duke time. Duke at Chapel Hill. I mean, I think, I don't know, I don't know what to say about this Duke team, but 
they don't defend very well, but they can score a lot. They have a lot of talent, and they've proven they can they can play well and they can play bad. So I think winning the next two AC games is super important to kind of looking forward to what this team can be in the ACC, AC tournament, NCAA tournament. Because I think the Duke games are going to be super tough, just matchup wise for UNC. And then it's state, it's state February tenth in Raleigh, and that's going to be a a really important game to get UNC back on track. Don't want to go too far beyond that. But I think UNC looked pretty good offensively against State. And I think people are hopping off the bandwagon after two losses. But I think what Luke May did and what Theo Pinson did, there's a lot to take away from that. And I think getting Kenny Williams and Cameron Johnson back on track is huge. But I think there's a lot of uh, positives to take away from that. I don't think it's as bad as it may seem. This team is still top 20. It's kind of the team we thought it was going to be. The weaknesses are there with inside scoring and some maybe a rebounding here and there and defense. But overall, I think it's not you know super, super scary time as long as UNC can come out with a win against Clemson and Pittsburgh. Lose against Clemson, things get a little dicey. Absolutely. Greg, close us out. I mean, people give me a hard time because I say games are must-wins. But at this point in the season, like you mentioned earlier, nine games left. Um, I'm not 100% sure 500 in the conference gets you in this year. It may, and it probably will. But your take on at Clemson and then Pittsburgh. Well, I'll say this. I think North Carolina is in pretty good shape for the NCAA tournament just because of their RPI metrics. I mean, the strength of schedules, you know, one of the top in the country. I think they're number two overall. Uh, Non-conference top 25. ACC is what it is. So, I think the fact that they've got some some pretty quality wins, uh, they're pretty they're pretty safe if they go you know probably five hundred in conference. Um, but yeah, I think they we we know they called a break um, at Notre Dame, and the fact that Bonzi and Farrell did not play. Yeah, you know, I think if either of those guys play, UNC probably loses that game, and then right now you know possibly four and five. Uh, so that's kind of that that margin of error that we've talked about is so small. And I, I don't know that Clemson is a is a must win, um, and I say that because when UNC plays well, and when they get contributions from Barry and May, who have to play well for this team to win, and then you get you know, a Penson having a good game, or Kenny and Cam hitting a couple threes, they can play with anybody. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The problem is, is you're not getting that consistent play from Kenny. You're not getting that consistent play from Cam. Uh, and you know Theo, you can count on him for a lot of things, but scoring typically at net. Uh, great game against State. You know if he can do more of that, that'll be very beneficial for this team. I mean, you can't rely on just two or three guys. That's not going to get it done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at the the schedule ahead, and we talked about you know they needed to go three and two through the first five ACC games, and then after that, it really kind of. Uh, set the table, you know, for a good run. You know, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, State, Clemson, Pittsburgh. You, know, you could probably go five and one in that stretch and feel pretty good. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, so I think Pittsburgh's an easy win on Saturday. So this is an important game. If you can, if you can win in, in Little John, win at Pitt. Now all of a sudden you're you're seven and four going into just a brutal stretch. But they are going to have to play very well. They're going to have to play as good as they can play over the last month of the season, once you get through that Pittsburgh game, to really have a chance to uh, kind of contend for me, you, to contend for a top four seed in the ACC. I know some people may think that's out of reach, and maybe it is. 
but to prevent kind of falling off the map, uh, they're going to have to play a lot more consistently than they have. And I think the fact that Roy Williams has been critical of his team after wins, that's something we haven't seen a whole lot of in recent years. I think that kind of speaks volumes about how far this team needs to needs to come. They need to get better in a lot of different areas, and they're kind of running out of time to do it. So uh, not a must-win at Clemson, but I think that is a very critical win. It's, it's a pick right now. I think Clemson Open is a one-point favorite, but essentially a pick So that, that's, that's a big game for everybody. Good stuff. Greg Ross, safe travels to Death Valley and Little John. Uh, Ross, I hope that Greg gets you on the side of the road and y'all get there safely. Look forward to y'all's coverage after that game. That'll do it for this edition of the Inside Carolina Radio. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.